Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie, and today John will be looking at a memoir, The Boy Detective by Roger Rosenblatt. First, Stan, I want to say how good it is to be back here in the studio with you. Before we got on the air, we were saying it's been a long time, and we won't bore our listeners with all the circumstances between the last time that we we're here and now, but it's good to be back here with you. Let's just blame it all on the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's a beautiful day outside. It's cold, but blue skies and a really beautiful day. Yeah, it really is. Well, this book, The Boy Detective, is a wonderful book. It's the second book I've read by Roger Rosenblatt, whose name will be very familiar to anyone who reads magazines and listens to the radio. And over the last several decades, he wrote a lot for Time magazine. He's written some books, but the first book of his I read was, I think, in 2010. It was called Making Toast. It was a very slim book. It actually moved me to tears. It was about his daughter, Amy, who was a pediatrician, And she was in her late 30s, I want to say 38, 39 years old. She and her husband had three children, something like six, four, and one. She was exercising at home on a treadmill, and she had a heart condition that had never been diagnosed. I mean, she didn't know she had any trouble at all, and she's a doctor herself. She died. And... um, uh, Rosenblatt and his wife... Jenny moved in with their son-in-law and the three children for a while to help them get through it. And the title, Making Toast, I wrote just one of those little mini-reviews of the book for CT. I said that in the book that becomes a secular act of communion. It's getting Mm. on with life. And it's very clear from what Rosenblatt says in the book, that he's not holding out any hope to see his daughter again. She's gone. And part of the reason that the book was so powerful is that he doesn't go on and on about that. He makes that clear. But I've read some memoirs of loss that that lose their power by trying to say too much. And some of the most mm-hmm. powerful ones I've read, C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, Joan Didion's book about the death of her husband, those books are on the slim side. Making Toast was especially like that. He followed that up with another book, another memoir, which I haven't read, called Kayak Morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, Morning. Mm-hmm. And now there's this third one, The Boy Detective, A New York Childhood. And the title gives you a hint of the way the whole book is structured. And that's reinforced when you turn to the epigraphs. There's three epigraphs, which I'm going to read here. The first one is from one of the Sherlock Holmes stories, A Case of Identity. My dear fellow, said Sherlock Holmes as we sat on either side of the fire in his lodgings at Baker Street, Life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind of man could invent. 
we would not dare to conceive the things which are really mere commonplaces of existence. Mm. The second one comes from a poem by Wallace Stevens called Tea at the Palace of Hoon. Not less because in purple I descended the western day through what you called the loneliest air, not less was I myself. And then the last one is two lines of dialogue from the movie Harper, which featured Paul Newman, and it was a movie based on the character Lou Archer, created by Ross MacDonald, who, as you know, is one of my favorite writers. And so this exchange of two lines of dialogue, why do you have to go back? It's not over yet. (laughs) 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 So he's going back, he's going back to the case that he began to investigate when he was a boy imagining himself a detective hmm. and life is the life is the mystery and it's a book written in very short episodic sections it's not a continuous narrative even though part of it is a walk and so there's a certain structure to it he's walking along and something he sees reminds him of something else mm-hmm. it's very episodic it moves freely over space and time, but it keeps coming back to Gramercy Park, which is the neighborhood in Manhattan where he grew up. He's constantly referring to mystery books, some of which he read Mm -hmm. when he was young, some of which he's still reading now. He's constantly referring to movies that are either based on those books or Mm -hmm. everything from movies of the 30s to film noir to more recent movies that in some way involve mysteries, crime, and this motif of thinking of life as a kind of mystery Mm. and of himself or any of us as a kind of detective. It's both lighthearted and serious. And there's the interplay between that throughout the book. And does he get into spiritual questions or questions of ultimate meaning? He does. And the way he thinks about those is different from the way that I think about them. I felt the differences more keenly in this book in a way than I did in Making Toast, even though that ultimate difference, the hope, you know, I finished his book and and I thought, well, um, am I just really incredibly naive in what I hope? But I also read this book with a tremendous, well, which partly just sheer delight, kinship, because a lot of the things that he's read that have meant something to him, have meant something to me. There was one striking passage that I want to conclude with that really took me by surprise. And it's right around the middle of the book. He's talking about writing, and he says, in writing, the trail goes cold all the time. Hmm. The wise old prophet in whom you have placed the telling of your tale ought to have been an idiot boy or a girl or a dog. You started your piece of work in the inner city, You should have begun it at a lakeside resort in New Hampshire and the whole book written in dialogue or in rhymed couplets. (laughs) And this happens in more than a single piece. Your entire existence as a writer can follow dead-end trails. And then one morning you sit bolt upright in your bed and boom, she's alive. If your desire, and that alludes to his discussion of a film that he's just been talking about, uh, Body Heat, 
if your desire to be a writer coincides with your desire to be noticed, this is the most important part, these last few lines of this section. If your desire to be a writer coincides with your desire to be noticed, why, pal, you can waste decades writing bad stuff or perfectly acceptable stuff that you simply never wanted to write. That person was you, and yet it was not. You can spend an awfully long time pursuing the cold lead of your long and winding life. Believe me, I know. What's striking about that, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but what came across to me was that he was looking back at most of his life as a writer, where he was very successful. I mean, he teaches writing. He's you know near the end of his career now, but he's teaching writing at Harvard, and you know he's done so many things that the vast majority of people who aspire to this kind of work would just dream of, you know. Right. And yet, what I hear in that passage is him saying that somehow when he looks back at much of what he did, and I'm positive he wouldn't say that about Making Toast. I'm positive he wouldn't say that about this book, and I expect he wouldn't say it about the one in between that I haven't read yet. I think that he feels that only now is he really writing the books that he really wanted to write, you Mm -hmm. know, and that somehow he wrote lots of stuff which was okay, some of it wasn't maybe even okay in his mind, but he got in that groove and he was writing for time and he wrote some other things. And he doesn't make a big deal about that. That's, again, part of the persona, you know, very New York persona. You know, he doesn't go on and on about it, mm-hmm. but it's there. It's striking. I keep thinking about a verse that I read yesterday from the Sermon on the Mount where it says, Blessed are they who mourn for they... <clears throat> For they shall be comforted. And I don't know how it relates to Roger Rosenblatt, but somehow I think it fits. I agree, Stan. I'm so thankful that uh, that we share that faith in that promise. <laughs>